Hello! Welcome back to another hard-hitting edition of Radio Free USA. This is your host, Rahul, and I have with us uh, our our regular co-host, Tarek. How are you doing, buddy? I am good. Thanks for having me on, Rahul. Uh, the, the Pope is, uh, is in Ireland today, so it's, it's a big day over here. Wow, that, that, that is quite amazing. I did see that um, uh, apparently... Uh, he, he's been riding around like in a kind of a um, janky ass little little car, right? Yeah, exactly. And there were actually huge protests um, because of the recent sort of scandals that uh, have come out in uh, the Irish church. So it's a it's an interesting time. But yeah, I'm happy to be on the pod. I'm very surprised that the Catholic Church is embroiled in scandal. I, and um, it's, it's, it's as if there <laughs> there was a movie about this. Uh, you know, the, yeah. the Boston Globe broke just a few years back. But anyway, yeah, exactly. Um, Wait. We don't want to spotlight that topic uh, for this week. But, um, yeah, I will uh, mention that actually Tarek and I were on our uh, American, uh, you know, across the country tour. We were in Seattle where hundreds of thousands of people showed up uh, to hear uh, Radio Free USA Live. Unfortunately, we didn't record it, so none of you will be able to hear it. Um, but we're glad to talk through all the, all the big issues of the day, uh, as we always do. Um, starting with, I think, you know, we, we have a packed agenda today, so I think we should just, we should just get to it. Um, first thing I wanted to mention is we're recording on Sunday, the 26th, but, uh, yeah, news broke out yesterday that, uh, Senator John McCain passed away. And I think that was, uh, you know, it's a kind of a big moment in, a, in American politics, uh, you know, kind of a very significant figure of this era, um, uh, dying. And there, there had been a lot of, obviously a lot of, uh, drama in the last, year but even more so in the last 20 years really with uh john mccain as a central figure to um i think american kind of political reality uh he had the same kind of brain cancer also should be noted as ted kennedy as well as joe biden's son Bo biden um so you know that's that's sad you know when anyone passed away and he's obviously a very uh central figure to i think you know our lifetime of kind of remembering politics um talk you have any any quick thoughts I, th- I think this is something worth discussing for a few minutes yeah absolutely i mean it, it's it's the maverick you know the john mccain who had the the sort of um let's call it whimsical relationship with the the national press and the media you know in in the year 2000 when he challenged bush uh in the primaries he was the darling of the media uh really came across as the maverick and then you know, really, um, you know, became more of a, a of the warmonger type supporting the Iraq war um, and really never bounced back uh, after that fully until he ran for president in 2008 against Obama. Uh, and, you know, one of his lasting legacies, Rahul, is going to be the fact that he named Sarah Palin uh, to be his vice president. Um, and after he lost that election, really sort of kind of caved to the to the Tea Party movement and didn't step up as a Republican leader and, and, and really sort of you know take back that space. So he, he has a bit of a bit of a mixed history um politically uh, and people on the left are sort of 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 mixed views as to whether you know we should we should be you know um holding hands in ceremony and exclusively praising John McCain or also highlighting the more critical aspects of his legacy. Yeah, no, I think I think you bring up a good point there. Uh you know, for, for those of us that are listening, obviously fans of democratic memes that are uh, active in social media, kind of um, left of center um, discussion. One thing I noticed, I think, in the last 24 hours that I think is 
you know, I'm, I'm a little torn in seeing the social media reaction is um, I see kind of the mainstream media and kind of more center left types or, you know, certainly people right of center, you know, going out, going out of their way, praising McCain, you know, and certainly a, a person who, who, who just passed away, you know, we should try to be positive and helpful and, you know, remembering the good things they did. But, but I also see in my more further left follows that I have that are more on the, I'd say more democratic socialist side, a little bit more of like, look, just because this guy died doesn't mean that we have to praise like shitty things this guy did. Um, or, you know, just because someone died doesn't mean you have to even feel positively ab- about a person. So I think that's an interesting kind of um, tension I'm, I'm seeing right now in my like Twitter feed and what have you, you know, and I'm sure many of you listeners are seeing that in your uh, Twitter feed as well, where people a bit further left that are, or, or, or are less kind of like establishment connected are, can be a little bit more like, dude, this guy is a warmonger. Like at every single military conflict is pushing the pro-military agenda, whether it was, um, you know, um, Russian invasion of Ukraine 10 years ago or like Libya in 2011 or like Syria in 2013, like he, he always was kind of a bit of a, you know, a pro-war guy, which sucks. But at the same time, yeah, yeah as you mentioned, Tark, he's the maverick. Um, and I think it is worth mentioning that, yeah, he's been the, a thorn in the side of the last three presidents, two of which are Republicans, right? So, you know, he was a primary opponent of George, George W. Bush and was, you know, I think great at forming alliances with Democrats. Um but, uh, you know, um, also, as, as you mentioned, he, he picked Sarah Palin as, as vice president. And that kind of was the beginning, not the beginning, but like a symbolic, you know, descent for the GOP that, that you know, the, the Maverick, a very centrist guy, picked a right wing nut uh, who then became to embody kind of future things like the Tea Party and what we see today with with Trump. So it's complicated. Um I do think what one thing that's worth revisiting, and I saw a great tweet thread about this, was the famous moment when uh, a, a woman at a John McCain rally or campaign event uh, basically went on the mic and said, like, Obama's not one of us. I can't trust him. He's an Arab. And McCain takes the micro- microphone away from him and was like, no, 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 no he's a good person. Um, out of context, I, did, I do think it, <laughs> it might have sounded awkward in that it could have sounded Islamophobic, where she's like, he's an Arab. And he says, no, 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 he's good. Uh, but he was kind of responding to the totality of the statement, which was like, who's this weirdo black guy that's running for president? Like, I don't trust him. I can't yeah. trust him. And McCain essentially is like, I'm going to shut this down. Like, I look, look, he's a good guy. Like, we disagree on stuff. But, you know, he's an honorable man. Um, so I, th- I think overall, McCain was a quite an honorable, patriotic dude, even though, you know, he was probably too much of a hawk for for my taste yeah i i agree with that i think he 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 was i mean the the story of how he was tortured in the hanoi hilton is just insane he's definitely a war hero and he and he did do a lot of good politically but he also you know did a lot of bad politically so you know unfortunately you know welcome to adulthood to our viewers um you know no one's uh you know going to be 100 percent um, on one on one side, 100 percent of the time, uh, and and he's got a bit of a mixed bag leg- legacy. Uh, I I will say though that um, that you know Trump pretending to to give a shit Rahul as as you put in the agenda is pretty funny. Um, also the fact that 
you know, Trump said, quote, you know, I like guys who weren't captured when he, when he just assault, insulted uh, John McCain during the campaign trail was just ridiculous. And he didn't deserve that. But uh, I think it's probably, you know, people who who um, support McCain should wear that as a, as a badge of honor that he was uh, insulted by Trump because that usually, uh, you know, he's in good company there. Yeah, exactly. And I do think it's a quite an interesting poetic thing. Uh, Really, John McCain's political finale, if we're going to look in the history books here, was that Trump is such a clown and McCain was like, dude, this is like this is bullshit what we're going through. And he gave a th- you know dramatic thumbs down on Obamacare repeal last year. And it was literally like a fuck you. It was a thumb in the ass of Trump, essentially. Uh, so I thought that was a that was a cool maverick moment. But even though, you know, if we look at his voting record, he probably voted, you know, 90 percent in. 95% for all Republican, you know, uh, proposals, including under Trump, but whatever, you know, RIP John McCain. Um, yeah. Uh, but I do think um, we should move on to uh, what has been a, uh, has been quite a blockbuster week, I think in terms of Trump's stakes coming home to roost, essentially. Um, you know, I'm sure all of you have, have seen some of the news around what's going on with, uh, Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort, and I think this is a good opportunity to discuss uh, what's going on that's crazy and historic, um, and also I don't know, and, and also what's what's kind of funny about what, what's going on and what, what could come in the future. Um, I guess l- let's start with Michael Cohen. So on Tuesday, Michael Cohen pled guilty essentially to campaign finance law violations, which are felonies, uh, specifically as it relates to the hush money. That was paid to Stormy Daniels and um, oh the sec- second one is Karen McDougal, I believe, Playboy model. Uh, Michael Cohen pled guilty to those without directly cooperating with the you know Mueller probe or with the prosecutors, et, et, et cetera. Uh, and this was huge because Michael Cohen is one of Trump's closest long-term kind of inner circle people and uh obviously when the fbi got involved and when this became a really serious matter um he you know he and his lawyers made a probably good decision to to plead guilty instead of you know facing um harsher sentencing um it's hard what, what are what are your initial thoughts on what on, on michael cohen and i think his his saga um oh my gosh well he, he's he's the fixer right uh so he's He's uh, he's done a tremendous amount uh, here to to really fix this situation. Uh, I think for those of us who want Trump out of office and have wanted him impeached for a long time, so Michael Cohen, you know, cooperating um, is is huge. Uh, I mean, the fact that he you know that he actually pled guilty to a number of um, finance related violations and that he he could be doing jail time um, is pretty pretty. Insane, uh, and the fact that you know Rahul, um, he, he kept these recordings, which is just you know it's gold dust in terms of evidence in this type of a situation, where Trump comes out and denies everything, or or he muddies the waters, and and then Michael Cohen was just there the whole time, you know, with something, uh, you know, recorded uh, on audio tape uh, that can then be used by prosecutors to secure justice. So, uh, I'm pretty impressed. Um, I'm surprised, I would say, at the speed, Rahul, at which this mm-hmm. happened. 
Um, I thought that maybe the, the Michael Cohen situation would play out o- over a longer period of time, but just the fact that it happened in such close succession to the Manafort situation, which we'll talk about later, uh, w- was pretty impressive to me. Yeah, I do, I do think um, you know we, we lose track of I think in in our in our uh, hyper fast kind of social media news reaction cycle that like uh, we kind of. I think also we lose track of when we feel in the moment that like nothing matters anymore and that like these crooks are going to just get away with whatever bullshit. There are actual legal machinations going on, you know, directly with Cohen or things behind the scenes or, you know, as we'll see with Mueller, like real time, you know, uh, implications for individual people that are not named Donald Trump where they could face jail time and it's better for them to uh, take certain courses of action versus others, right? So in Cohen's case, he, he he actually, he's not directly cooperating with the prosecutors. It was more like his lawyers felt the best choice is to plead guilty and to issue a statement that I think is was quite a bombshell this week where he he said directly the purpose of the uh, the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, if, if, that, if I'm recalling the name correctly, the direct purpose was to influence the election. Yeah. And also, yeah, and also not, not only were, was the purpose to influence the election, but also that he was directed to do so by by Trump. Uh, I think I think in the statement he says like, you know, I was working for a candidate running for national office and the candidate basically directed me to do this. So, it was implicating Trump directly in a felony. Um so that was like pretty huge because I I this might be something almost like a we're in shock here, like medical shock, because I, I don't think that that's happened before with a president. I don't know. I don't even know if in Watergate that was, you know, someone associated directly said Nixon told me to do this unless I'm recalling my Watergate history incorrectly. But um, I think that was it, it's pretty huge. And we'll see what happens from there. And what I'll add to that is that Trump in his perfectly idiotic uh, tendency, he implicated himself as well. Uh, he went on on Fox News. Was it Fox and Friends? Maybe he went on Fox News, yeah. and um, he claimed that the payments didn't come from the campaign, but they came from him himself, like his like personal money. So he's thinking like, ah, I got you, loophole. Uh, but that's not a loophole. In fact, like any personal payment that's made in conjunction with the campaign also needs to be disclosed to the you know the FEC and what have you. So. If what he's saying is true, and if they, you know, evaluate that, that's still a fucking felony. He's directly. Um, he, he just confessed. <laughs> he just confessed to a felony. Yeah, he he always confesses. Like he's always like in these rambling interviews. He always like in the subtext is saying like I'm guilty, uh, you know, because it's a, like a Freudian slip almost. Um, also, one thing he said that uh, was kind of crazy and quite ridiculous and maybe troubling if it actually has legs on this. He's, he's, he stated that basically uh, he, uh, in fear of Michael Cohen actually flipping and working with the prosecutors to like provide information about Trump's business practices or what have you, other things about the, the, those, those payments and what have you. Uh, he kind of said that it should be illegal for prosecutors to flip uh, defendants in order to get information on someone else which was I thought was just so mind-blowingly ridiculous because that is literally the 
the the entire playbook for how you take down mafia organizations or you know cri- criminal organizations in general. So make it illegal to like take a lower level guy and ask him to cooperate in exchange for lenient, more lenient sentencing. That, that's that seems like something fundamental to the justice system. Like that's the only way you like take down crime organizations. But obviously, he doesn't give a shit about that. No, and, and he wants to protect the, the racket that is the Trumpet organization as well. So uh, he, he has ulterior motives there. I will say, too, I think Trump probably confessed because he thought it would make him look good that, oh, he had you know several hundred thousand dollars in cash just laying around that he didn't need to sort of like use finance, uh, fin- other financial op- options that Cohen talked about. In the t- That's a good point. Yeah, it's one of those compensating things where he's just like, I got money. Like, I don't need like my campaign's money to do this. I can illegally, you know, make donations myself or make exactly. much money, you know, myself. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's it, it's pretty it's pretty interesting to, to see this how this all plays goes down and the fact that you know uh, you know Trump is going to try um, and and pull pull some kind of Houdini move to get out of this and uh, you know it, I'm not, it's unclear as to whether um, can, I mean can you even pardon someone who sort of um, uh, in this type of situation. I mean, if they get Cohen on federal charges, he can be pardoned. But I think if they get him on state charges um, from the state of New York, I think uh, that Trump doesn't have the authority to pardon him. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether all the charges are federal or some are, are state as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think that's going to be a good distinction. <laughs> Look, we're going to be in such a weird uh, quagmire of constitutional kind of <laughs> law of like, all right, he's he could... I just assume that at the end of the at the end of this game that Trump's just going to pardon it as many people as possible and to get himself out of it and pardon himself or something. Um, an- another uh, interesting development that we should keep our eyes on. I don't think there's exactly news about the information from it, but uh, a guy named Alan Weisselberg, who was the CFO or something of that sort of the Trump organization, apparently has cut a deal for immunity. Um, I don't know if this is. This is probably in conjunction with the uh, the Michael Cohen, you know, hush money probe. Uh, I don't know if it connects also to the to the Russia, the Mueller kind of Russia investigation. But uh, this is someone who, you know, knows the balance sheets. He's the guy that actually he did the finances for for Trump. So this could be potentially huge. This is like someone who knows where the bodies are buried, you know, so to speak. Um, So I think it's I think it's fascinating. And. Yeah, again, to you know, um, to, this has been a huge week. So we should also talk about Paul Manafort, our boy. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Clown of the week, at least once or twice. Manny, um, Manny from the block. Manny from the Ukraine. Yeah, Manny from Manny from the Ukraine. M- money uh, from the Ukraine. Yeah, money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the news that came out this week was um, the the trial that he was under around basically like fraud and tax evasion, etc. There were eighteen different counts. And he was convicted on on eight of the eighteen counts, uh, which has like a ridiculous, like kind of like a potential sentencing. I think it was up to like two hundred years in prison, like a huge number of felonies. Um, and it, this has also been fascinating because it happened. Th- that conviction came out within minutes of Michael Cohen's guilty plea, so it was just quite a dramatic day on Tuesday. And uh, what's worth noting with uh, Manafort being convicted on eight of 18 counts was that, yeah, there were 10 other counts that he was not found guilty of uh, by the process by which was that there was, apparently there was one juror 
that held out on those those 10 counts in particular. It was basically 11 to 1 uh, on 10 of the 18 counts. Uh, and what was fascinating that, that came out from this was that on Fox News, there was an interview with one of the jurors, not the person who held out, but like with one of the other jurors that, you know, felt comfortable talking publicly. And uh, this woman claims to be like, you know, she's a Trump supporter and, you know, claims like, oh, I, you know, I'll vote for Trump in 2020. And uh, basically said like, when she went into the trial, she wanted to she wanted to believe in the best intentions of, of Paul Manafort. Like, uh, I wanted to see that he's innocent, but was so overwhelmed with the evidence that like, it was obvious he's guilty of everything. And she basically like said on Fox news that it was, you know, kind of frustrating trying to convince this one person that was holding out on the 10 counts. Um, so I think that that just like um, illustrates how, how obvious of a case this was. Uh, Manafort, you know, between money laundering and uh, tax evasion and fraud and what have you, uh, it was clear, you know, this guy's fucking guilty. Um, So that's been interesting because obviously that was Trump's campaign manager. Uh, Trump, we know Trump hires the best people, as he says, right? Only the best. Yeah. So his personal attorney, as well as his campaign manager, they're uh, felons at this point. Um, So It'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. So with Paul Manafort, the interesting, I think, wrinkle to it is that he's he's been resistant to cooperation kind of at all stages of, you know, the investigation into him. I think um, there, there were instances where he kind of like refused to share information and was kind of like compelled to or, you know, was subpoenaed and what have you. Uh, and one thing that was mentioned, I think this is really interesting. On, I was listening to Pod Save America. They had Jeffrey Tubin, like a CNN legal analyst, on, and he alluded to that, like, well, maybe Manafort isn't incentivized to cooperate with, you know, American authorities because perhaps you know there's a retribution from the Russians that he's so indebted to that could be harsher than. Uh, if, if he just doesn't cooperate with with uh, U.S. Of, officials, you know, like if he if, yeah. he fli- if he flipped, like maybe he like could turn up fucking poisoned in a park somewhere, you know. Uh, and um, yeah, and on top of that, it, it seems like Trump has been implying to the media basically like Manafort's been treated unfairly, like, and he's kind of been you know teasing the idea of like you know that he'll just pardon Manafort, so. I, th- I think it'll be interesting seeing how 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 that turns out. I- I- any thoughts on 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 Manafort from your end? Yeah, I mean, like th- this. Let's remember that Trump said or tried to claim that Manafort played a limited role for a limited time as his campaign chairman. He was the campaign chairman for several months, uh, and, uh, including during a critical period during the Republican National Convention. Um, and that was also a time, Rahul, where the the Republican National um, uh, Convention had their, their platform changed uh, pr- quite dramatically, actually, to use language that was much less critical of, of Russia. So um, I, I think th- the fact that Trump tried to distance himself from Manafort uh, all this time is is sort of less significant than the fact that Manafort is going to do 200 years in prison uh, and still hasn't cooperated because, as you said, uh, you know he his, he could be on the hook uh, of something much more sinister and profound uh, if he were to cooperate and give give information uh, away on his former 
confidant in the Kremlin. So, um, you know, I, I think that just the, the images of Paul Manafort now in an orange jumpsuit, you know, with with, with kind of barely shaven, uh, la- you know, lack of sleep, uh, you know, is, is the kind of takeaway that you get from looking at a photo of him or a mugshot now is a stark contrast from the sort of smug, you know, uh, plutocrat that he was during the campaign trail. Uh, and, and, and it's amazing how, how, how far he's fallen uh, in, in a span of you know, 20 or 24 months. I can imagine that you might, when you're describing vividly uh, that image of the orange jumpsuit, I, I can't help but think that that might be your like iPhone like back, desktop background image, right? It could be. It could be. I, I, can't, I can't reveal uh, you know, something that personal about myself, but uh, there's a good chance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it'll be really interesting. And also, uh, I, I haven't read into the full legal details of this, but what you were alluding to were like uh, federal and state crimes, how they uh, how, how pardons affect, um, you know, uh, your ability to be tried on one thing versus another. The, the, the fact that actually he was convicted on eight of the 18 counts does actually open up the idea that he could be retried on the other counts, I think, uh, though, please, lawyers that are friends of this podcast, uh, correct me my understanding is that you know there, there's basically he could get part he like trump could pardon him right now on these eight counts but then the other 10 counts could be brought up again and maybe trump could just like keep part you know keep pardoning over and over again but that would be it would be ridiculous and be crazy and unprecedented but it actually does present an opportunity where you know we could see how it goes now and then there might be more opportunity there's plenty of criminals in the in the white house right now so you know it, it seems like the justice system could almost like do trial and error with uh um with prosecuting some of these guys and just seeing like when or when not trump will pardon someone yeah, um, now there yeah. is the whole concept of double jeopardy so you know if you if you've been um you know found guilty uh of, of a crime that then you can't be charged for the same crime twice um, so, but yeah, we'll, 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 fi- we'll figure out the logistics when we get the legal team on board in the comment section of, uh, of the democratic memes posts, uh, later this evening. Yeah, we probably, speaking of that, we should probably get a general counsel. You know, I think at this point we're so significant that we probably need, uh, we need, we need a legal representative, I think in, in every, in every show if possible. I think so. Um, and that, and that, 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 uh, that obviously, you know, is bringing up the big I word for me, Rahul, the whole concept that mm. impeachment could be near. What do you think about that? I think that's a, it's a very, it's a very fascinating uh, uh, development that kind of, um, I think, I think makes you, you know, the, our, our host people on, on our pod, a little, a little excited. And I want to think about like what, what's realistically going, going to happen or could happen what I think this week did show, especially with Michael Cohen um, directly implicating Trump in a felony, is that, as I think the New York Times put it this way, that the concept of impeachment is inevitable. Like, it's basically like that that language will be ever present, I think, from here on out, uh, more so than before, where I think the mainstream media, I think those of us on the left would criticize the mainstream media for bending over backwards to being like, well, you know, maybe Trump's like, no, you know, maybe he's innocent of X, Y, and Z, and maybe Manafort, you know, he was just doing whatever, uh, you know, like, there's a plausible deniability, right? It's just in general, if you're trying to be super objective, but those of us, you know, I I think all of us 
can read in between the lines. And we knew beforehand, like, dude, there's some shady ass shit going on. There's a lot of corruption. There's likely a direct collusion with the Russian government, though, you, you know, we need to see that proven. Um, this was a huge step forward in terms of validating the idea that the president has committed a felony, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so even if we, and this is only for the Stormy Daniels fucking hush money stuff. Like we're not even getting into the, the, we're not quite there yet with the Russian collusion stuff, but like just the idea that this is a criminal felon president is like within grasp. So I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's within, you know, it's, it's, it's in the ballpark. We can start playing with that idea. Uh, it's just a matter of like, logistically how, how does it work or how does this impact elections like should democrats be running on impeachment or should they be running on issues and saying like look there's some shady ass shit going on in the white house and within the republican you know held congress like vote for me so that we can you know um be like more legitimate and like you know bring honesty back to a, a corrupt administration like, i don't know what, what what do you think yeah i think it just feels like the um, more real than ever, uh, and that the walls are are, are closing in. I mean, wh- whether he's actually impeached or not in the Congress, um, you know, impeachment is going to be what people run on in in twenty eighteen. Um, so you know, it's it, do the, well. The public- well, I think that's that's a good, but that's the question though. Are should Democrats run on impeachment versus running on a broad? Because there's so many things to run on, like you know, policy things, economic things, like moral things, and then also legal things like my, sorry to interrupt you there, but like, I I just felt that I do feel that we're not sure where this is going legally. So like, if we bring out the I word prematurely, then it could lose its effect later on, you know, if if it's, you know what I mean? I, I see. I just don't know what we have to lose by running on that. Because the, Trump has been such a trauma for the American psyche. Um, and if anything, in two years' time, it's just going to be more normalized and harder to get rid of the guy. So this, I really see this as kind of our, our only chance to run on this um, and, and still have it be effective. I mean, like, what else is going to – this could be famous last words, but you know, what else is going to come out like when his top lawyer you know, uh, admits to a felony – um, ha- and releases recordings of Trump saying that he pay- he you know told him to 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 pay off um, you know to pay hush money. And then Trump admits that he actually did this, and then his former campaign manager is convicted of eight of eight. It's just like why not do it now? Do you know what I mean? Like when is it going to have greater force? Like what else does this guy have to do to get Democrats in the leadership to actually like run uh, as a platform on impeaching Donald Trump being like the top thing? I mean, you can't get any of the other things done with this guy in office. We all know this, right? So that, that's why it's like I know there's a risk you know, taking our eye off the ball, but we're not going to be able to enact our agenda with, as long as he's there. So let, let's just do whatever we can to get him out is my my logic. Right. No, no. But I, I, I think there's an – I'd like – I mean maybe I'm just naive, wishful thinking here that we can do an all of the above approach where it's like, look, there's an assault on uh, – you know, everyday Americans like livelihoods outside of what Trump did with 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 Russia or, you know, in paying off hush money and stuff. There's just a general atmosphere of corruption and fucking over, you know, um, 
everyday Americans, essentially. And I think that might, like, I, I feel like the totality of those things should be the message and not, and not overtly being like, yo, vote for me and I'll vote for impeachment. Like, because the problem with the, the, the impeachment thing is like, we have to wait on like, what are the legal things that come out? And that can be slow. You know, like what what if tomorrow the Mueller investigation comes out and it just turns out there's some like campaign finance violations and oh it's it's inconclusive on if there was a direct connection between Trump and Russia, then the right wingers could be like, see, this was a witch hunt the whole time. If if Democrats are saying impeach this guy, he fucking colluded with Russia. Like if you if you if you jump to the conclusion, like we we risk maybe like if if that line of thought doesn't come out as extreme as we thought it would be, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. There's risks either way. I just, I think that it's on, it's on the the mind of the public and the media are saying, I just feel like it's kind of, it it, it would be kind of lame if, if democratic leadership were just waiting for, for it to, to pull above a certain amount, you know, which is probably what's happening at the moment. So, right. um, Right. Yeah. No, I think they should in- embrace like holding them accountable. But I do think, you know, the I word is like something where we we, we probably need more information. Like we could be proven wrong, like it, or not wrong, but like there could be inconclusive results of the legal investigations where like some bullshit happens and there's some, you know, they get slapped on the wrist. You know, Michael Cohen gets like a six months probation or something. And it's like, ah, see, not, and then the Fox News could be like, oh, this wasn't a big deal after all. So if we focus on the issues and the broader issues of America and then tie into it, like, dude, there's a fucking corrupt administration in the in the White House that probably it looks like they colluded with the Russians to disrupt American democracy. Uh, Like, I'd say fit it into the package as opposed to making it issue number one. You know what I mean? Okay. yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. Um, We'll see, though. Um, yeah, uh, but this was a quite dramatic week that I think like really shifted the, the discourse in the direction of like, this is like a criminal, this is a criminal in the, in the white house. Um, so yeah, hopefully, uh, we can take back the house and, uh, take back Congress and hold the president accountable. Um, we'll see what happens when it comes to, you know, whether impeachment proceedings will be like kind of realistic, um, hopefully, but I think uh, actually that is a good segment or segue into uh, one segment that we haven't used a lot recently. I think just because we live in such a dark hellhole of a of a time <laughs> right now, uh, I wanted to bring back our segment that's called "What's Good," uh, something you feel positive about, and uh, what I think we both found inspiring this week was uh, a, a clip from. Uh, Texas senatorial candidate Better O'Rourke. He's a congressman from Texas who's running for Senate against Ted Cruz. And uh, he's been rising in the polls. Like, he's pretty close to Ted Cruz, I think, within just like a couple percentage points. And there's a great clip of him um, talking about or responding to a question at a town hall about what he thinks about NFL players kneeling during the national anthem to protest police brutality. Family of veterans. And, and, you know, you mentioned football season earlier. I kind of wanted to know how you personally felt about how disrespectful it is, like you have the NFL players kneeling during the national anthems. 
I wanted to know if you found that disrespectful to our country, to our veterans, and anybody related to that. It just, I find it incredibly frustrating that people seem to be okay with that. And I would just like to hear your input. Thank you. Thanks for a great question. Again, on a really tough issue that if we don't talk about is not going to get better. And the question is, how do you feel about NFL players who take a knee during the national anthem? And is it disrespectful to this country, to the flag, to service members who are right there tonight where it is tonight in Afghanistan, and those former service members, retirees and veterans who are here with us today? Thank you each for your service. Um, my, my short answer is no. I don't think it's disrespectful. Here's my, my longer answer, but I'm going try to try to make sure that I get this right um, because I think it's a really important question. And reasonable people, reasonable people can disagree on this issue. Let's begin there. And it makes them no less American to come down on a different conclusion on this issue, right? Um, you can feel as a young man does, you can feel as I do, you're every bit as American all the same. Um, but I'm reminded, somebody mentioned reading the, the Taylor Branch book. Um, you did. Um, Parting the Waters and the King Years. And, and when you read that book and find out what Dr. King and this nonviolent, peaceful movement to secure better, because they didn't get full, civil rights for their fellow Americans, the challenges that they faced, those who died in Philadelphia, Mississippi, for the crime of trying to be a man, trying to be a woman in this country, um, the, the young girls who died in the church bombing, um, those who were beaten within an inch of their life crossing the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama with John Lewis, um, those who were punched in the face, spat upon, dragged out by their collar at the Woolworth lunch counter for sitting with white people at the same lunch counter in the same country where their fathers may have bled the same blood on the battlefields uh, of Omaha Beach or Okinawa or anywhere that anyone ever served this country. Um, the freedoms that we have were purchased not just by those in uniform, and they definitely were, but also by those who took their lives into their hands riding those Greyhound buses, the Freedom Riders in the Deep South in the 1960s, who knew full well that they would be arrested, and they were, serving time in the Mississippi State Penitentiary. Um, Rosa Parks getting from the back of the bus to the front of the bus. Peaceful, nonviolent protests, including taking a knee at a football game to point out that black men unarmed, black teenagers unarmed, and black children unarmed are being killed at a frightening level right now, including by members of law enforcement without accountability and without justice. And this problem, as grave as it is, is not going to fix itself. And they're frustrated, frankly, with people like me and those in positions of public trust and power who have been unable to resolve this or bring justice for what has been done and to stop it from continuing to happen in this country. And so nonviolently, peacefully, while the eyes of this country are watching these games, they take a knee to bring our attention and our focus to this problem to ensure that we fix it. That is why they are doing it. And I can think of nothing more American than to peacefully stand up or take a knee for your rights anytime, anywhere, any place. So thank you very much for asking the question. I appreciate it. Yeah, so Tarek, what, what, what did you think about this, uh, his, his speech? 
Yeah, so I, I thought that it was it was tremendously inspirational, and it really um, had echoes of Barack Obama on the campaign trail in, in two thousand and eight, which which made made the butterflies go off in my stomach a little bit. But um, I, I think it was a perfect synopsis um, in a really emotional way as to why it's okay that these NFL players are protesting, and the fact that he ends it with you know, "There's nothing more American um, than than doing that." Right, uh, it w- is is huge for just adding legitimacy to to the to the whole um, the whole movement. Absolutely, no, I definitely felt the same kind of like tingles. I think that you're mentioning where it's like when you see someone speak so eloquently to uh, kind of um you know c- civil civil rights and bringing America together on something that might be you know controversial on one side or another, but you know trying to be hopeful and speak to our common ideals uh i think was uh was was quite amazing and better o'rourke in general he's been kind of like a rising star in this 2018 midterms um obviously texas is quite red although there is a growing latino population and you know i think there's the opportunity for democrats to you know um shift the tide in texas perhaps and he could be a good a good leader for them um, I think he's a great speaker, and anytime you see him, you know, in interviews, he's a uh, quite eloquent, quite eloquent and straight up dude, like speaking very succinctly but very positively about like you know the challenges to Texas and how to find common humanity, um, you know, in a in a deep red state. And I'm super encouraged by you know his rise in the polls, and hopefully uh, he, he can pull it out in November. Absolutely. Yeah. He, um, you know, it'll be close because it is Texas and, you know, we always, I feel like, you know, I don't want to have another moment of deja vu where we feel like, okay, we could really do it. Like, you know, in, in 20, was it 2016 with Mitch McConnell? Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely possible, um, that Beto can, can get it done, especially given the fact that him and Ted Cruz are kind of polar opposites in a way. Like, you know, T- Ted Cruz is like a vampire who sucks the life out of everything that is like, you know, l- well and good in this country. And Beto O'Rourke is giving inspirational speeches like this around, you know, the civil rights era. Um, you just couldn't have two um, polar opposites running for, for the same office uh, in, in such a way. Yeah. And I think it speaks to, like I, as someone who's never, I've never lived in Texas, but like certainly, I'm I'm sure that as with the nation more broadly, within Texas, there's really probably like a a duality of there's a you know with a rising Latino population and you know large Black population and um, there's probably a lot of people that are like uh, uh, Beto in being hopeful in guiding that state to you know to a 21st century kind of America. But they're kind of like often stymied by, you know, harsh right wing kind of Texas controlled state legislatures. So like there there is a lot of good from Texas as well. And they're one of the most significant states in the union. So if we can help shift the tide, uh, that could be amazing, frankly. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, on that on that positive note, let's let's uh, switch into our. Uh, into our most uh, fun tone, which is Clown of the Week. I know all of you have been waiting for that. Uh, So how about, I'll start, I think. Um, I'm going to nominate as Clown of the Week Betsy DeVos, our esteemed Secretary of Education, uh, 
Um, because, I mean, I think she's been a clown since the very start. I think she might have been Clown of the Week before, but I need to double-check our archives. It's so extensive at this point. Uh, we're 40 episodes in. By the way, this is the 40th episode. So, you know, congrats on Happy 40. Um, but uh, Betsy DeVos has been, you know, continuing to enact or consider enacting really ridiculous and stupid policies when it comes to our most, I, I think one of our most important departments, which is of public education and uh, helping the future of America succeed and compete in the world. Um, one thing that came out recently was that uh, they're going to end an Obama era policy or penalty towards for-profit colleges. So these are colleges that are, you know, primarily interested in just making money and milking, um, mil- milking students for their, for their money. Uh, there used to be, or there had been a policy enacted that penalize them if they didn't adequately equip students for success in the future. Basically, if they didn't like teach them well enough or, um, or, you know, did, like basically that they're not like a, a, a rag or a con or something. So Betsy DeVos wants to, is, is going to end those sorts of penalties. So it'll open the gates for uh, Trump University 2.0. Um, and also one thing that came out that I thought was particularly egregious that hasn't happened yet, but could is, uh, apparently, they're uh, considering allowing states to use their funds to arm teachers with guns. Uh, so, like, this was a ridiculous idea that came out after the Parkland shooting where that Trump kind of gave voice to that, like, yeah, just fucking strap all the teachers, uh, you know, strap all the kindergarten teachers and all the preschool teachers and all the, you know, math teachers in eighth grade, you know, with I don't know. Like it's it's such a ridiculous and stupid idea to just arm us all like we're in a Mad Max post-apocalyptic world that um, I don't know. I think it warrants I think it warrants being a clown, you know, once and forever. Absolutely. Um, so she she is a clown once and forever, and she has won it in the past, I believe. Uh, but again, our archives are quite extensive, Rahul, so I wouldn't know off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, the uh, just the fact that these guys are um, like they just seem like the evil empire, you know, like making it easier for for profit colleges to swindle students uh, and using taxpayer dollars to arm teachers to make schools more dangerous like that it's cartoonish it's cartoonish also i don't know if did you know this before that her brother is the ceo or founder of blackwater the like mercen yeah eric prince that yeah like it's fucking ridiculous it's it's like james bond villain type shit oh absolutely wow okay betsy devos that's gonna be tough to beat rahul um i'm gonna try to one-up you there by going for our man um michael Cohen. I don't, I don't know if he goes by the name of Mickey, but you know, let's just call him. Let's just call him Mickey for this one. Mickey Cohen here went down for the count, pleaded guilty uh, to a number of felonies this week, um, and you know, it was a, a tremendous fall from grace. You know, he went from you know being you know the king of New York, the fixer for you know the president of the United States, uh, to then being insulted by the president of the United States on Twitter. Um, for not being a good lawyer, <laughs> so I don't know if you saw that. that yeah, that was from Trump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was like um, that was kind of funny when Trump tweeted that because, in I <laughs> obviously Trump didn't mean he didn't mean it in a self-deprecating way, but no. I thought it was funny from that perspective where he's like, 
oops, I I hired a shitty lawyer. <laughs> if you if you want a bad lawyer, call one eight hundred felony, and it'll, it'll be a direct line through to Mickey Cohen. Um, only the best. And he even referenced the, on on a Fox and Friends interview um, that that Michael Cohen calls himself the fixer. He's like, I don't know if he's a fixer, but anyway, um, Michael Cohen, you, you may you may have saved yourself slightly. In the in our eyes, by slightly, slightly. If you can end up being part of the reason why Trump is is impeached, but I think for all the wrongdoings, uh, all the you know the 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 felonious activity that you orchestrated on behalf of the Trump organization, felonious um, you, guy, f- felonious. They call him felonious Mickey guy <laughs> uh, in Boston. Don't step foot in Boston, felonious Mickey. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that that's that that's that's our, our our inner Boston accent coming out. So sorry about that, guys. But uh, yeah, so Michael Cohen, um, you just are forever going to be a clown for that. Uh, the fact that you, you know, ultimately there was no way out for you. Trump was probably never going to pardon you. Um, you had to come out here and and uh, and fess up to your wrongdoing. And the fact that you felt so insecure the entire time that you had to have audio recordings of everything you did. Um, doesn't look. You're not working in the right place. If the only way that you can feel comfortable and sleep at night is that you have audio evidence of everything that your coworkers are are saying at all times, um, it's not an indication of a of a healthy workplace. I don't know about you, Rahul, but um, in in my estimation, Michael Cohen uh, is the clown of the week. Um, he thought he was going to set himself up for a life of luxury and milking the influence of having a close contact in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, he did swindle a number of organizations, I think maybe definitely some pharma organizations and others by saying that, you know, if they paid him 200 K he'd be able to get them, you know, unfettered access to Donald Trump. So he was able to make a pretty penny out of this in the end, but uh, ultimately he's going down, going to the slammer felonious Mickey. You're my clan of the week. Yeah, and I think on top of you – know, you're talking about like what, what are the businesses he was involved in. Apparently, he owned a bunch of taxi – a lot of taxi medallions in New York City. So like now that's like up for grabs. So like that affects like New York City kind of like taxi politics where like, you know oh, – yeah. <laughs> Or Michael Cohen's like investment in it is like, you know, now um, – I don't know. It might have to be like turned over, I, I think. I'm, I'm not sure. There's yeah, such – Lawyers such... in New Yorkers, please correct me if I'm wrong. They're such mobsters, man. Like with the payoffs and the fucking taxi. Medallions. They're like stupid, stupid mobsters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, make mobsters great again. <laughs> yeah, um, confident again. Yeah, confident again. Uh, so I think that is quite convincing, Michael Cohen. You've had your moment to shine this week. Uh, hopefully, there's more news about you if you uh, if you if you flip, unless. Uh, Unless Trump declares that flipping is illegal, unless it's against Hillary Clinton or something. Um, so, uh, yeah, Michael Cohen, definitely clown of the week. And um, I think this has been a great, great discussion, chock full of a lot of really interesting information. I hope everyone goes out and reads some more about what's going on and how we could approach the I word um, impeachment. So with that, uh, thank you, Tarek, for joining Today, and uh, I hope everyone has a great week. <laughs> <laughs>